Left corner of the end zone. That ball is going to be caught for the touchdown. And Chicago has extended the lead. Jaguars, for the first time in franchise history, will be selecting number one in the NFL draft. You got to think about it. In the last 20 years, we've been the bridesmaid and never the bride. Right. We're, we're finally the bride. The problem with doubting yourself is that you're going to move slow. You're going to be thinking too much, acting too little. You're going to be waiting. You're going to be hesitating. Failure is better than not doing anything. So I would just say that, you know, don't doubt yourself. Even if you fail, that's great. Embrace it, move on. But just do not doubt yourself. Whatever you want to do at that point, just go ahead, do it. There's no better way than just prove it or disprove it yourself. Back then, I was like, well, where's the investors? Why are you not knocking on my door yet? And there's no swimming pool. We're just in our room eating ramen noodles every single day, buying the cheapest beer so that we can actually feel a little bit cooler. And all of a sudden, they're in front of you. And you're all sitting in this room waiting for an interview. And all of those people who are there are like super passionate and just very interesting. And that was what drove us to be like, wow, this is the place we want to be. And that's when everything started to take off. So it was quite an experience. I actually stayed there. We have to go up the mountain and cut woods and then burn them to get electricity. We're in that bus station. And he turned to me, he was just like, David, I used to believe in you, I don't anymore. My name is David Chen, I'm with the company StrikeMe.com. I'm 31 years old, just past my birthday actually, so just turned 31. Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. How does it feel to be old now? <sighs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing is that you just feel like 11 p.m. or like 12 and just want to go to bed. Before, you're just like, wow, the night just gets started. So, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I was wondering what your work schedule is like. It's 8 a.m. for me. And what time is it for you? 8 p.m. It's good. Like, this is early for me. But it used to be like, this is like, oh, this is so early in the night. Right. Yeah, now I'm feeling it. But you're winding down your work day, right? Yeah, I actually have a few things to finish up. Okay. Well, I guess if we have such a time difference, I wanted to point that out because it kind of helps our audience know where you're located. So where are you actually? I'm currently in Shanghai. The company started in the Valley. So we have office in both the States and here. Yeah. Just recently I've been in Shanghai. The Chinese internet scene is pretty interesting these days. What Valley? We started in Silicon Valley, right? So we started in Sunnyvale, actually, uh, San Francisco, and then we moved down to Mountain View for Y Combinator. And then after that, we kind of like, we we're based in Sunnyvale. And we opened up our Chinese arm in 2016, and we started going after the Chinese market. It's very, very interesting, very different, very dynamic. And I guess the entire China is kind of like another Silicon Valley outside of the U.S. and very mobile driven. So yeah, there are a lot of things to be learned here. Well, yeah, I was joking. I know what the Valley is, but again, I always try to bring up like, well, there's some people like- I heard that there's like the Austin right now, like Texas is called like Silicon Hill or something. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, I live in Florida where we don't even have hills. So they just call it Silicon Flatlands or Coastal or something like that. But I just to make sure everyone's on the same page because you know sometimes if there's acronyms or locations, I just want to make sure everyone knows. So basically you started the company in San Francisco and they call that the Valley in case anyone doesn't know. I want to talk about a little bit more. We can go into your company if that's all right. But again, you being in Shanghai, so you've been there for the last four years or just temporary because you said you opened up an arm in 2016 there. Yeah, it has been like back and forth. I try to spend more time here. I've been spending quite some time in China to learn the scene. And I guess you just really have to be here to, to understand what's going on. Actually, we were talking to Shopify last time and they were trying to learn how it works in China. And just like the one thing became very clear is that you have to go all in or not, just not at all. So since we opened up our arm and we have our product line localized, very localized for Chinese customers, I try to spend more time here. And you're talking to Shopify, I guess your home brand is strikingly, is it similar to Shopify? Strikingly, I guess our focus has always been website building. We try to make it as simple as possible. That's basically what we do for all these years. Our target audience has been like the entrepreneurs and startups. 
right? And in that sense, I guess, you know, there's some overlap of like the type of entrepreneurs and startups that basically focus on selling stuff online, selling particularly physical stuff, you know, as a merchant on the internet. We view them as a really good solution for the power sellers on the internet. But like, I guess we're more for our mission has always been kind of lowering the threshold for anybody who to participate in the online kind of scene and, you know, start a business as easy as possible. So, you know, the range of the type of business that we serve and the quick to publish is a little bit different from what they will be focusing on, which is like the powerful, the kind of all you can, all you need, all apps, like all of this kind of a widget integration and stuff. And for most of our target audience, they just want to get it started quickly. So I guess that's the core difference. And so is it just kind of like e-commerce brands or is it like anyone to build a website with your software here? In short, it's anyone. We have about 3 million plus right now, close to 4 million users. These are basically just startups, right? People who are getting started. E-commerce is definitely one of the core functions that we provide to our users to sell all kinds of different stuff, physical, digital, you know, copyrighted stuff or... Sexual. Well, for that matter, actually, yeah, we do have a quite a number of users from Vegas. But yeah, we have a lot of people who are selling membership these days. So we serve all kinds of these users. So what's the difference between your website and maybe some of the big ones that other people have heard? Like, I'm just going to say Squarespace or Wix. I kind of, those are two big ones that I always hear. Seems like your plans are a little bit cheaper. So I'm looking at that, like you get more value. Again, you're not paying me to say this. I was just quickly kind of looking at that. But is there anything else? Like, I'm wondering why you would want to build this. And then what's the difference between some of the big ones that other people have heard of? Yeah, there are quite a number of things and you're definitely well-versed in this space. And those are some of the bigger guys and started earlier than us. In the early days, we differentiate from them with one core thing, which I think right now is still one of the most core, which is mobile optimization. And we're the first one to start it with like this kind of responsive design. And then basically means your website can like just automatically resize and reformat for different screen size. And we try to take that kind of design worry away from our users so that our users will by default launch something that looks striking. I think that's basically... Oh, hence the name. I get it now. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. So we try to use that word as often as possible. Right? Even for a situation that really has no relationship, which is like, yeah, that's very striking because we have it. But anyhow, our goal has always been kind of lowering the threshold. So our support is actually one area that will focus a, a ton in getting it to like state of the art. So 24-hour chat support users, when they log in, it just like prompt them to chat with us. Like, don't worry, we're here. You can talk to us. And our support team, they actually gave the name to themselves. It's called happiness officers. So they were like, well, if we can only satisfy the users, that means we get like, what, 60 out of like 100 in, in tests. We want to get 95. And actually, you know, when we calculate our satisfaction score, our score is like 98% satisfaction from our users. And that's very, very hard to achieve, by the way. That's much higher than my podcast listeners because, you know, I've been getting some negative reviews lately. So really, I see that it's like five star all the way, man. So then I messaged some of these people. I basically just said, like, you know, they had an issue and they just leave a review that I was sending them an email about my monthly meetings to help them out. Like they signed up for this. They're like, take me off the list. You're spamming me. I'm going to put you in the FTC. And I'm like, I emailed them. I'm just like, hey, if you would have just emailed me, like I would have been happy to take it out. And then I'm like, I'll take you off. They're like, yeah, thanks. I'll remove it now. I'm like, you know how easy that was, you know, but I guess I'm just trying to point out that you prompting the people, it must be, make it so much easier because some people don't want to say anything until they leave a negative review. But I guess I just had to, I had to put that story in because that happened recently. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I totally feel you. That's awesome. By the way, we did that. We did exactly the same thing. So in the early days, when we only have like a few users who signed up, right, we we're just like stalkers. And that was like, you know, basically we just like search around on the internet using like something information, just a bare minimum information to get like where they are. And then we found them on like social media, we just add them as friends. They're like, who are you? We're like, well, I mean, thanks for trying out the product. And we just want to get some feedback. They're like, whoa, you guys are too aggressive there. But like, we got so many great feedback on that. I totally feel you. I mean, that was a hack that exactly in our early days. We don't do that anymore. We don't stop our users. Back then, we definitely try as much as possible to like get as much feedback and also like clean up the kind of negative reviews as much as possible. Same thing. I'm just like totally understand. Because it does really matter no matter what product or whatever you're selling in the beginning, right? Because now you're so big, you said you have 3 million users plus or whatever, like you don't even have the time if you wanted to. 
Maybe you should have renamed it stalkingly back then or whatever, but you see what I did there. Like, I guess anyone who's selling a product or whatever, it's like, you got to get a role in that. And if you can fix those people's problem, that's great. And it sounds like you having a customer thing open right away and pinging people, like almost everyone, especially in the beginning, you only hear back from the negative. So if you can switch those negative ones into positive ones, and then like you're saying, some people might be kind of creeped out or whatever, but they understand too, because you're new and trying to get feedback and at least you're being proactive. That shows you care, you know, versus how many companies don't give a shit and don't do anything. Thing. I think we all understand, again, if they want to check it out, it's called Strikingly, I guess during our interview, or we can talk about it a little bit later. But I mentioned the China thing, because again, I think this is pretty interesting to anyone who's listening. I haven't lived in China. I haven't visited. Can we talk about that a little bit more and just the differences between business in America and business in China? Because like you said, even other big companies are coming to you to try to figure out you said you have to go all in if you're going to do it, but just tell us some of the, like the different business practices, if you will, or what you've noticed the most since like living over there and doing business. Well, Shanghai is a different, like it's a unique city to begin with. So, I mean, if you look at the kind of inner side of China, it probably will be much different from how it is like in Shanghai. Shanghai is a very metropolitan city, just like Singapore, New York, or London, or anywhere. And it's just a tons of expats. But with that said, China, it's quite unique in a lot of different ways. Its economy very self-contained. I think recently, especially since the mobile age, I guess, it has been just taken off. You have seen a lot of very, very interesting application and new products here that you just haven't even seen in the US. For example, right now, you go out, you just don't have cash anymore. You don't even have a credit card. It's just like you have your phone and that's it. And just imagine that, right? I remember back in the days when we were in Y Combinator in Silicon Valley, everyone in the Valley was talking about you know, how do you go out with like, you know, like fingerprints to like pay for stuff or like this type of NFIC chips and you can just pay without actually bringing your wallet with you and stuff. And we have realized, we have seen that China has realized that in the past like few years. And right now, really just like the digitalization process is next level. And also a couple of years back, there was the model that you have seen with like mobile payment, with mobile being like so advanced in a sense. I've seen this model, which is like they have just kind of shared bikes on the street that you can just get for like 50 cents Chinese RMB. I don't even know how to do the conversion rate. It's like less than one cent, or less than 10 cents of USD. So you know, get that for like half an hour and then you can just get that anywhere. I mean, that was a model that has been taken to the U.S to Silicon Valley in a little bit and change the scooter and stuff. That was one of those kind of innovations, just like all of a sudden, overnight, that you have just seen that just everywhere. That's been quite crazy. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. HelloFresh offers 23 plus recipes each week featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you'll never get bored. Eating healthier has never been easier with low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, and piscatarian options every week. And no matter what you choose, every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. See, I just got my HelloFresh package in last night, and I unwrapped it like a kid on Christmas. And oh my... Were the presents inside better than anything I got from old St. Nick? They had recipes galore, and I was amazed at how fresh and quickly I was able to throw together a tasty meal. So, if you want to throw together a quick and fresh tasty meal just like me, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash Millionaire10 and use code Millionaire10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, Go to HelloFresh.com forward slash Millionaire10 and use code Millionaire10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Are you tired of those web browsers tracking your every move? Well, that's why I started using NordVPN over three years ago. See, NordVPN has over 14 million people worldwide using their service. They have super fast servers all across the globe. So even while you're using them, your internet doesn't slow down a bit. Plus, you can have six simultaneous connections. One of the cool features of NordVPN I love is you're able to unlock Netflix and your favorite entertainment websites. You can finally feel safe again browsing the internet with NordVPN. Plus, if you ever have issues, they have 24-7 customer support. 
and they even have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Give them a try today. What do you have to lose other than those internet trackers that are recording your every move on the internet? For their special holiday deal that they're only giving our listeners, go to nordvpn.com forward slash ESFI and use our code ESFI at checkout. And that ESFI stands for Entrepreneur Stories for Inspiration. So again, to support the show and get four months free of NordVPN, then go to nordvpn.com slash ESFI and use our coupon code ESFI at checkout. So anyone's not looking, I just love looking at pictures of cities and stuff. If you just go to Google images and type it out, it's pretty amazing. In case anyone's wondering, it's 23 million people who live here. So it's the biggest city in China too. So I guess I get a feel for you understanding because I think a lot of us have heard of Beijing. I've heard of Shanghai. I guess I've never even just Googled it, but you're just looking at the architecture and the buildings and whatever is pretty amazing. So are you living near downtown or where are you located within Shanghai? We're not that far away from, I guess I can actually imagine what picture you're looking at. Yeah, just all of them. They've got that big globe, the ones right downtown. It looks like it'd be the center of downtown, you know? We're not that far away, but we're near the kind of a university area here in Shanghai. Shanghai is one of the best universities. It's called Fudan University in China. Our street is literally called University Avenue. So, yeah. So now I know exactly where you live, just like the government does. Yeah, right? well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's also one thing that's crazy. You know, a lot of things that just you can't imagine it happened in the U.S. That's very true. Like, for example, facial recognition everywhere. It's just how do you imagine that in the U.S., right? Well, it's definitely happening, especially when you're crossing borders now. Like I was talking to one guy who actually helped develop that technology. Like he was one of the very first ones to develop that technology. And now they use those face scanners instead of whenever you're going into a different country. I guess just in China, you happen to have it everywhere, like on the city streets. So they can see where you're going and recognizing that, right? Yeah, like AI being used in that type of scenario is also, again, technology kind of advancement in China just is very different. So you said there's 3 million users for your product. How many like employees and what are size of revenue? And can you just tell us how many locations you have? I think right now it's something like 110, 120 people who are working with us like these days. We have a few different locations. We have Shanghai, we have Silicon Valley, Sunville, and then we have the Philippines with some of our staff over there. We have some of our remote workers, remote staff who are based in Europe. And we even have a couple of people in Africa remote for working with us. So those are the few main places that we have people. Are they in Kenya? Actually, I don't know. That's a great question. I think it's like West Africa somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it is. I think I've heard Kenya is the big hotspot now in Africa. I'm pretty sure it's Kenya. I always like to look at trends and whatnot. And I think that that might be the hot spot as far as Africa. It's usually certain countries, right? You can't just say all of Africa. That's freaking huge, right? That's like half the world. <laughs> so. I mean, it's true. It's like sometimes you just think, like, I don't know. It just feel like it's just there. Yeah, it's easy to say, but Africa's pretty big. So let's try to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah, I know it's West Africa, but I don't know exactly where it is. Okay, gotcha. I wasn't trying to make fun of you. I think everyone's the same way. You know what I'm saying? I don't think anyone necessarily says which country in Africa or whatever. And I was just trying to throw one out there because I think that's what I've heard recently has kind of been growing there. Yeah, you said you're 31. You own a hundred, let's say 10, 120 person company. That's kind of worldwide. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Did you think you'd get to this point at now the old age of 31? No, I didn't even think about it, to be honest. When we first got started, it was like really in our dorm room and we built this thing for ourselves. So what year was it and what country, like what college did you go to? Yeah, I went to uh, the University of Chicago. So we started there. And the first year when we kind of wrote down the first line of code was 2011. And it took us some time before we actually did this full time. When we actually jumped in to do the full time was like 2012, the second half of 2012. And that's when we moved to Silicon Valley. Again, maybe just real back to even, you were born and raised in China? Yes, I was born and raised here. Yeah. Okay. And then, so your first time you went to America, was that in 2011 to go to Chicago to go to school? Actually, no, I came to the US when I was 15 or 14, I forgot. But like, I went to upstate New York for high school. And why? Were your parents want to come over here? I don't know. I mean, I just really wanted to go outside back then. And I guess the dream was to go to Harvard. 
well clearly I felt on that but like you know I was like how do I get closer to that dream like physically get closer is to move to the U.S. and again that's without your parents you went to the U.S. yeah I was by myself I went to upstate New York for it was like really middle of nowhere by the way it was like in between of uh Buffalo and Rochester there's like a small town it's called Houghton it's a Christian town Actually, I remember it has the second biggest Christian university there. And then that was about it. And I remember, like, this was prior experience. I actually stayed there. We have to go up the mountain and cut woods and then burn them to get electricity. But that was, like, how rural that was. You weren't like a slave or anything, were you? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it that way. Well, that was quite interesting, by the way. It was, like, really cold in the winter. The snow was, like, just really thick. And we have to go up the mountain and cut trees. I just imagine that. It was a lot of fun, by the way. And you just carry them. And then, I don't know. I guess thinking that, that was a little bit of like pure labor. But like when I was in it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it might be fun for a day. <laughs> What's the name of this town? Spells H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. But I guess I think it pronounced Houghton. And the school was a Houghton Academy. And so I was there. But yeah, I guess you're right, because I only stayed there for one year, and I moved to Massachusetts. I moved to Worcester, which is kind of my second boarding school. I was there for two years before I moved to Chicago for my university. Okay, so this was the boarding school you went to. Were your parents down for you to go? Did they pay for you to go to America? Yeah, they did. Again, I mean, just like it shows how badly they want to let me leave them. But yeah, I mean, they want us to... Wait, one second, just to make sure. Are you joking when you say that or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously. You are joking. Okay, well, I don't know because you weren't like laughing and I want to make sure. I guess from my point of view, that wasn't... No, I was joking. But I don't know what's on their point of view. <laughs> I'm making sure because, you know, just given the accent and whatever, and it sounded like you were almost going to slave school, to be honest. I'm like, maybe they wanted you. Maybe they sent you here because they didn't love you. I don't know. It seems like, hey, they love you because they want you to go to America. You see a brighter future, but then they're sending you to some small school to chop wood. Yeah. How do I prove <laughs> one way or the other? It's going to remain a mystery to me. But yeah, I mean, they were really supportive. I think I really wanted to come, but like they actually didn't necessarily want me to come. Yeah, because I'm the only child and because of the only child policy, right? So in China, back then, I was like, pretty good school and with a good trajectory, in a sense, in kind of the traditional mindset of China. So they really didn't want me to come. And I was just like, I really wanted to go. And they were like, yeah, sure. So, so they did you love you because they weren't selfish and like, you know, you have to stay here. You know what I'm saying? But that for sure. Yeah. But I'm just looking at this Houghton, H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Okay. So my kids aren't going there. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't have you spell it out. Well, I mean, you know, if you like snowboarding. And having child labor laws that they don't enforce. Yeah, countryside. And that was the first time I met the Amish people. Amish, yeah. Yeah, that was really the first time I saw like the wagon just like pass by. That is pretty wild. Did you think all of America was like that? Well, I guess not because you came over in an airplane, but <laughs> maybe you thought. Yeah, but like, you know, that was the place I came from in China. It's like a 15 million people city. And I went to this place. I think the whole population in that town was like 2,000, 3,000 or something like that. And the, the biggest shopping place or like the kind of mall or whatever is basically a convenience store in the gas station. That was like the biggest place that you can go and like rent a movie or whatever back then. That was just nothing going on. And, you know, for me, my imagination of how U.S. would look like was like Times Square, right? You go there like, wait, there's a little bit of misalignment and I have to like cut trees. That was quite different, but quite an experience. I guess you definitely get those range of experiences with the United States too. Yeah, for sure. Versus you going to San Francisco or if you're in the Midwest or if you're in Florida, like we ain't chopping trees for, you know, fires. Yeah, because I'm looking here, even on Wikipedia, it says like 1,600 people. Something like that. Yeah, so that is quite an experience. So even less than 2,000, especially compared to where you are now, where there's 23 million plus. So from there, you go to another boarding school and then you end up going to University of Chicago? Yes. All right. So and then this is 2011. And that's when you come up with the idea for your, your website and your business here, right? Yeah. 2011 was my third year in college. So yeah, that's when I kind of we were trying things out. Back then, I think 2011 was the year that a lot of things happened. Social network, that movie came out. I think Jobs actually died that year. And Steve Jobs actually passed away uh, that summer. So I remember that summer, all of a sudden, a lot of people would just start thinking about startups. 
and uh, entrepreneurship. And we're kind of right around that time doing our startup part-time around that time. But like, you know, that was when we started. And so did it take off right away? No, it's just like, wow, it's just tons of grinding, right? Well, as I mentioned, we actually did this part-time. And I guess we finished my third year in college and then during that summer. So we usually take the summer internship from my school. Most of the people actually will go to Wall Street or like banks, like the big banks. For me, I actually did that a year before. And then I was like, well, maybe that's not something for me. So we started basically just taking the summer off from internship and just work on our own thing. The first summer was just like a crash course for startup and just failure, 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 failure. And just like crush all of your kind of fencing imagination. Because that was a year, as I mentioned, like that was a year like Social Network, that movie came out. I mean, I'm not going to spoil that movie, but one of those scenes in that movie is that you go to the valley and then you have like a swimming pool in the place that you rent. And then just investor will come knocking on your door and then just like, hey, I want to invest. And that's how you imagine startup would be like, right? And back then I was like, well, where's the investors? Why are you not knocking on my door yet? And there's no swimming pool. We're just in our room eating ramen noodles every single day, buying the cheapest beer so that we can actually feel a little bit cooler. That was that summer. I have to let go of one of my best friends in college during that summer. That was, I guess, my first fire. And after that, it took another year for us to kind of soul search and realize, well, I still want to do startup. We flew to San Francisco and started this full time. Yeah. So I'll go in here. So 2011 was when you started, but even over that first year, because to be honest, like when we started, I just wanted to bring up your age too. It's like, we're just kind of joking around. You're obviously still pretty young. And that's what I was trying to do when we talked in the pre-interview and whatnot. I'm like, so what are some hard things you ever had to go through? You told me business-wise, like you had to fire your best friend. I'm like, dude, that's pretty hard. Like, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. So did you do that that very first summer after, you know, y'all had gotten together and started the business? Walk us through why you fired him and how that went. Yeah, so really close. Back in college, I was the VP of student government for our university. We had met through that, and he was part of the student government as well, right? And so we worked on a lot of projects together, really close. And when we started doing this, as I mentioned, it was a slightly different idea before. Not slightly, it was a different idea before we pivoted to Strike Me. But like back then, we were doing like this kind of student organization, crowdfunding, like allowing students to kind of just get money from each other to do their project. So we did that and we kind of just like rallied together. We're like, wow, this is going to be the next big thing. We're creating this thing that's like the next New York Stock Exchange, right? Like people can launch their stuff and they can actually raise money from all of their friends. And then that's just like New York Stock Exchange. And we thought about that. All of this like very cool kind of uh, imagination of what startup is going to be like. And when we get started doing this, and there's just a ton of confusion, ton of grinding that you have to do is not a hobby anymore. All of a sudden, it becomes something that's real, right? Um, although it was only a summer looking back, back then, it felt like, wow, we're sacrificing our summer internship time to do this, right? And would that actually add value to our resume? How does that actually help us get a job, whatever? So there are a lot of things like around that time and just things went apart. So when we first started together, we kind of, we like each other, right? We're just like, okay, let's work on stuff together. You're cool. I'm cool. We're great. Let's join force. When we started doing this full time, we realized one of the things is that our skill sets, what we are too similar, way too similar, that when we work on stuff, it just, there are a lot of times, it's not a complementary kind of a relationship anymore. It's like, what should you be working on? What should I be working on? If you're working on this, then what should I be doing? Or if I'm working on this, what should you be doing? And since we have all of this kind of like fancy imagination of what a startup would look like, you know, having all of those small day-to-day -day conflicts start to pile up. And at one point, he wasn't going anywhere around that time. We rolled out the product. We kind of worked on it full time. The product rolled out. The major launch that we we're thinking about, like just going to take off, didn't actually take off. So we started pointing fingers and stuff. It got to a point that I still remember very vividly. There's one thing that he said to me and we're in like this downtown area, Chicago. And there was like this bus station that was taking bus from downtown back to our apartment, basically our office, I guess, but back to our apartment. We're in that bus station and he turned to me. He was just like, David, I used to believe in you. I don't anymore. I was like, wow, that was pretty harsh. And I still remember that moment. Just like you felt this huge disappointment of myself, not even on him. And we went back and just a period of time that everything I said, everything I said, everything I wanted to do, he would disagree. He rallied the team to be like, well, you know, David really doesn't know what's going on and stuff. So that was very difficult. And eventually I was like, oh, I tried a lot of things. Basically, there's 
every night we have this like two hour talk. I was like, okay, well, a startup is difficult, right? You know, if you want to achieve greatness, there's no path to get there. You just have to try and fail a lot of times. So we do all of this kind of inspirational talk, all of this heart to heart conversation for every single day, literally every single day, two hours. And until the end, we're just like, this can't go on any longer. So I had two other co-founders who were talking, we're like, well, I guess it's time for us to part ways. And it took another like a few weeks for me to actually muster all of my courage to go to him and tell him, hey, I just don't think this works. Like this kind of relationship works anymore. It's kind of like a breakup, I guess. And yeah, that's how it happened. So he was your boyfriend? Well, I mean, yeah, that was to a point that everyone kind of thought of that in a sense. I'm joking. I'm just saying because I'm breaking up. <laughs> I know, but it was really like that because I guess the first fire is really like a breakup. Well, yeah. And, and one that's close, like if it was a contractor that you had something come in and they're not doing as good of a job, then it's way easier. But if it's someone you had a previous relationship with, and again, that's the reason I wanted to bring it up. It's like, you know, just always think about anyone who's listening now. Do you want to really do a business with your best friend? Even if you think it's, again, especially because you brought up, y'all had similar skill sets, but just always think of like worst case scenario, is it worth that friendship ending? You know, and it sounds like obviously that's kind of what happened here. Yeah, exactly. You realize a lot of things that you wouldn't be exposed to if you are not put in the situation. It's really tough to a point that I was saying that was my third year, right? So that was my summer break right after my third year in college. And right after that, I was like, how do I face my fourth year, my last year? And I will go to classes. I'll be like, well, he sat there before. I'll go to get coffee. I'm like, well, he used to get this type of coffee. You know, it just gets really emotional, very personal. And to a point, I was like, okay, I have to take a break. So I actually left school right after that. And I was just like, okay, I have to just you know, do some soul searching and then be away from all of this. So I left. With the holiday season quickly approaching, as you stock up on stocking stuffers for family and friends, don't forget to treat yourself as well and take a chance on that idea for a business or side hustle you want to take from part-time to full-time. Today's show is sponsored by Teachable. Whether you have an offline business that you'd like to bring online or have a niche or passion you'd like to teach others, Teachable is here to help. Teachable is a platform that allows independent entrepreneurs and creators to build and sell fully customizable online courses and services. Join our over 100,000 instructors who have transformed their knowledge into world-class courses and have earned more than 500 million to date. To help you get started as a special offer for our listeners, visit teachable.com forward slash inspiration and enter your email for a free masterclass, walking you through the exact steps you take to create your own online school and start making money. That's teachable.com forward slash inspiration. Enter your email for a free masterclass again to help you get your online school started today. So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of sign up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit and then you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one, the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I would just like, fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not? But when you left, were you still kind of doing the business? Because you said you had other co-founders too, right? You just wanted to get away from your friend at that point because you're going to see, it sounds like y'all are still all enrolled in the same classes or something. So it's like, I get it. You want to get away just for personal reasons. It's just like not good for you to keep thinking about it too. But were you still working on the business even when you left? The quick answer to that is like, no, we actually paused for more than half a year. It's a little bit more complicated because we started off with another idea, which is the crowdfunding idea, right? And we'll pivot it to strike me. But I think that's fine. I don't want to dive in the details there because I mean, it gets kind of boring <laughs> to be honest. But eventually, again, I think all of us, sometimes you need that relaxation period to stop thinking about, it, especially after you get something emotional. So things ended up working out as far as at least business-wise, you decide you're going to do it again. And then you go to Silicon Valley with your other co-founders to like Y Combinator. Yeah. So Y Combinator, 
I guess some of the audience might not know is an incubator and kind of like help people get started in Silicon Valley, particularly like hackers or engineers when they want to do a startup and they don't know how to go from zero to one. And that's a place you apply, just like, I guess, Harvard, but for startup. So yeah, we took a break, right? And, you know, we did all of these other things and we just couldn't actually let go. At some point, we're like, let's regroup and let's try this out and let's try to apply for Y Combinator and see how it works, right? I mean, this is like one of those beacon of light that, all right, you know, why not? So we regroup and then we apply for Y Combinator, still a very part-time kind of a manner. We got the interview. That was unexpected. The acceptance rate for Y Combinator is like lower than Harvard. So something like 2% or even lower around that. But you didn't get into Harvard, so you imagine you weren't expecting to get into Y Combinator. <laughs> so we want to compare. <laughs> exactly, I guess. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm used to it. So whatever, let's just try it out, right? So we try out and we got an interview and we got invited to go to Silicon Valley. We're like, wow, all right, let's do it. So the three of us flew to Silicon Valley to do the interview. And we met all of those people that you only heard, like in the startup scene, all of the celebrities in the startup scene. You only heard from like other news or you saw from some kind of uh, fancy events and all of a sudden they're in front of you and you're all sitting in this room waiting for an interview and all of those people who are there are like super passionate uh, into what they are doing and just very interesting. And that was what drove us to be like, wow, this is the place we want to be. And so we did the interview and unfortunately we didn't get in. And that was actually the first time we actually didn't get in. We thought we got in, we went to actually get sushi buffet and we were celebrating in the middle of it. We're like, oh, we didn't get in. So we're like, wow, all of the sushi. How did you find out? Did they send you an email or did, did someone tell you? So we finished the interview, we're like, wow, we'll definitely get in. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was literally we're like, oh, I think we got in. We did pretty well, right? And we're like, yeah. And then we went to do the celebration. So we ordered a bunch of sushi, right? Well, they said they were going to call us if we got in. So we were all waiting for the call. And then hours passed by and we still didn't receive the call. I was checking my email and received the rejection letter. Well, there was like all of the sushi on the table. So, you know, I still remember that. So we're all like, well, what do we do now? Never celebrate too early is a lesson to pull from there. Yeah, that's definitely a lesson that we learn. I can say that for sure. And we kind of do that every single time. I was like, no, 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 let's not celebrate. Everyone, there are tons of times where our team will be like, oh, we just did a rollout. Let's celebrate. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's wait for another hour. Let's see if there's bugs. If there's no bugs, then we can celebrate. That was the time that we learned our lesson. That was also the time that we decided that we're going to do the startup. So quite interestingly, that was like, the moment that we finally made up our mind that if we were to do this, let's do this. Let's not joke around. Let's not mess around. We just got to do this. We have to do this full time. We have to like let go of everything. We have to really be fully like all in. So that's when we decided, okay, well, since Y Combinator, you told us that we can't like, we're too late for this or we can't work, whatever. We want to prove that you're wrong. So we flew to the valley regardless like we, we didn't actually care about the, the result at that point. We just like, we flew to the valley and we rent this like really small apartment. And the three of us actually stay there. We just like start working on the startup. And that's when everything started to take off. And I guess it took one of those rejections to finally make us make that final decision, the tough decision. If we were to get into Y Combinator, it would be a different story because then I wouldn't know whether we did this because of the hype or because we really want to make it work. So having that rejection was really valuable for us in the first time. And we got in the second time. So that was pretty cool. So yeah. Okay. So just quickly to reemphasize, I guess you tried again the next summer and you got in, you're saying? No, it's actually, they have two times per year. So we got into the winter batch. Yeah. Okay. I think it's important that you found your motivation. Sometimes you need that rejection or maybe you wanted to prove your friend wrong too, right? There's different things of motivation that we all need from time to time. It's as important as like, the encouragement, maybe sometimes even more, right? Because it forces you to realize and face yourself. So I guess I get a question here at this point. I mean, what are your parents thinking about all this? Yeah, so they really didn't like it, to be honest. Did they think you were going to come back to China or no at that point? Well, I guess at some point they just don't care anymore, right? <laughs> so like, whatever, right? We just uh, might as well, you know, don't think about it. I mean, that was actually only partially joking, by the way. So I mentioned that before the summer that we started doing the startup when I was in college, like the third year, 
I did my internship after my second year in a major bank called Goldman Sachs. I did my internship there, and it was kind of like the dream job for everyone in our college, and also for my parents. Even though they don't know much about the company, they're like, "Wow, this is like the name that we heard and Wall Street, right?" So you made it. And so I was there. I did the summer there. I realized I'm not gonna go far in this industry. So I decided that that wasn't really for me. And I told my parents that I'm not gonna go into that industry. And they were just super, super against the idea. I had to let the HR know that I'm not coming back before I told them that I've already let the HR know. HR of Goldman Sachs. Okay, so you're gonna tell them that you're not gonna come back. All right. Yeah. So I told them before I actually went back to my parents and tell them. That I have already done, because otherwise they will just like do everything possible to actually get me not to do it, right? So I did that, and that was the first time I guess they were thinking about disowning me. After that, I went back to school. I was like, oh, I'm gonna spend the summer doing a startup. Are you kidding? You already gave up Goldman. Shouldn't you be considering something like consulting or all of these other type of jobs? I was like, no, I want to try out startup. That was a very difficult conversation, or a very difficult thing to let them understand. I think fundamentally they will still support you. They just were super worried that you you made the wrong decision for yourself. So at one point, I wrote out this email for my father. I sent to him. Basically, it was a very cheesy email, by the way. So I kind of lay out. I was like, well, you want to protect me from all of the lightning and storms out there. That's exactly what I want to experience myself. You can't protect me forever. You might as well just set me free. Let me make my own decision. I literally said that, by the way. That was literally what I wrote. Yeah, I believe you. When you said cheesy and you said that, I'm like, he must have exactly said that. Yeah, that was so cheesy. I actually checked out that email once. I was like, no, I couldn't even finish the first paragraph. So I sent it to my father, and I was like, okay, I, I'm gonna do this. And my co-founder was also doing this right out of college, right? So he came to me. He was was this your best friend, the guy who's a best friend, or somebody else, one of the other co-founders? No, the other guy. The other guy. This is my technical co-founder, who we actually were really complementary to each other. So he focused on technology and the development side. I do all of, I guess, the business and marketing side. So we're still together working on、uh, striking. So he was very determined, but then his parents were also not really agreeable to the idea. So he was like, "Oh, how did that work?" I'm like, "Well, I guess my father doesn't contact me anymore." And he was like, "Oh, that's a great sign." So send me that email that you sent to him. I'm gonna reformat that a little bit and send to my father. So he literally did that. I forwarded him the email, very cheesy email, and then he changed the name, changed a few things, and he sent to his father. A couple of days later, I was like, "Yeah, how did that work? Like, did your father contact you?" I'm like, "Yeah, stop contacting me either." I'm like, "Great, awesome. So we're free." So that was literally how we have to communicate with our parents. That was like the kind of a argument that we had with our parents. Only when they let go of that, they were like, "Oh, you guys are okay." It was when we got on New York Times right after the Y Combination. We got on New York Times a little bit as forward to my parents. They don't read English, but they know what's New York Times. So they were like, "Oh, well, you got on New York Times. Great. So do whatever you want to do now." I'm like, "Okay, great." That was like finally they really believe that at least it's not complete waste of time. So it took a couple of years, basically, of like no contact at all, or was it some? Well, I mean, definitely there's still some, but like I'm trying to not talk about the professional side of my life or my planning or whatever. I was doing soul searching as well, so you definitely still care about like how you're doing, what's your well-being. But then I was very confused around that time, keep it to the minimal level. Well, it's like when I told my parents I'm doing podcasts, and they're yeah, exactly. I, I think you know that feeling, yeah. I'm kind of joking. They, well, they didn't disown me, thank goodness. But I could see, like, I think anyone else could see that, especially for like, given your culture and you coming to America,、uh, like that's a very Chinese thing. Like, they really want to usually become a doctor, or a lawyer, or if, at least if you're getting finance. Like, you're they're like, okay, you'll make money. So they're thinking about safety and security for you personally. So, but then I guess I've heard too. I've heard plenty of stories of like Chinese families kind of disowning their child, and again, maybe never not talking to them, but the relationship gets kind of squandered because they didn't take the safe. It's great to hear that. At least you know, after you sent the New York Times, that it seems like you're on like better terms now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't like terrible. Just that they would use all of their kind of frustration and worry, and they're trying to make it super visible to you, so that they hope that that will get you to rethink about the decision you're making. They just want to always make that very visible to you, so that you know it's kind of frustrating feeling that all the time, right? Like you just like there are a lot of things happening in my life as well. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like you lose your best friend, like over it. You know, you're like,、hey, I've got enough stuff going on. Jesus. 
Exactly. Yeah. But you can't really talk to them about that. They'll be like, well, I told you so, right? I mean, I think they have been there, done that in some of those situations. So they just really worry that you're going to go through that. But I guess after going through that, now that I think that I just have to go through that one or the other anyways, it's just like you can delay it probably, but like you can't really prevent that from happening at all. So I guess kind of fast forwarding, like if we were in San Francisco after you got in Y Combinator, what year what did you get in Y Combinator? We got in our batch is called winter 2013. We started the batch December of 2012. Okay, cool. So it was winter 2013, basically your batch or whatever. After you came out of Y Combinator, it seems like everything went pretty well. Like your company kind of grew really fast. And again, now you've expanded. Is there any other hurdles or anything before we kind of summarize your story? Because I'm just seeing here, I mean, like you said, you've gotten to 100 plus people since then. It seems like everything's been going pretty well. Well, it has been some time, so definitely not everything has gone pretty well. But I would say we're kind of lucky. And Y Combinator really was one of the turning points. So we were in San Francisco and it was just like the three of us in the middle of nowhere doing something that nobody knows and nobody cares. All of a sudden, Y Combinator cares. All of a sudden, everyone cares. That was like all of those turning points definitely uplifted us to something that, that was world level. But then startup, right? This entire journey, you have to still go through the journey yourself. Just so many difficulties in this journey. Building up a team is no easy task. You know, protecting the startup from dying, even though some people might love it, some people might really find the value in it. There's still a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of things you have to handle both internally and externally. So yeah, I mean, it's not just smooth all the way, but I would say we're relatively lucky that we got the support that we needed to go this far. Yeah, obviously it's not everything's going to be easy, but up to that point, it seemed like there were some major hurdles, whether it was like, you know, again, not having a relationship with your family for a little while because of it, or having to fire your friend or having to chop wood in a forest, right? Just to keep warm. Yeah, that's what <laughs> built me. That's literally what built me. I know. So I, that's what I was trying to summarize. The main things I learned, the first thing is not to send them to their Hooten Academy. Yeah, maybe that's the thing you should learn. Send them there. Get them to cut the trees. Because I like to bring up Google Maps as I go. It is no joke how it is all green. And if I'm looking at Google Maps, you said it's kind of near Buffalo and Rochester, but it seems like it's pretty far out there too. It seems pretty far away. Yeah, I think I remember back then was like what one hour or two hours from the nearest place to take SAT. Yeah, the SATs to get, I guess, get into college or whatever. But yeah, I guess the other thing you're saying, yeah, don't celebrate too early. That's one thing we've seen, we've learned as well. But kind of closing up and rounding out your story, is there anything else you want to leave the entrepreneurs with or any last words of wisdom for them? I would say one of the things after a while, you just got to believe yourself and don't doubt yourself. I think more so than believe yourself is don't doubt yourself. I think that was one of the things that really was quite hard for a period of time because you're going to hear a lot of negative voices from your family, from your girlfriend, right? From your co-founders, from your team, from investors. When we did our fundraising, hear tons of notes. You just got to kind of throw them out of the window. You have to forget about them and you have to do it so well that I remember back in the days when we did fundraising, when an investor rejected us, I walked out and our co-founder was like, why did he reject us? I was like, I don't remember anymore. I literally just forgot. I think you need to get so good at being like super thick skin to a point. And I think the fundamental of that is that you just fundamentally believe in what you're doing has value and you don't want to doubt yourself. The problem with doubting yourself is that you're going to move slow. You're going to be thinking too much, acting too little. You're going to be waiting. You're going to be hesitating. Well, a lot of the times that failure is better than not doing anything. So I would just say that, you know, don't doubt yourself. Even if you fail, that's great. Embrace it, move on, but just do not doubt yourself. Whatever you want to do at that point, just go ahead, do it. There's no better way than just prove it or disprove it yourself. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Personally, I guess I'm curious, are you going to continue to like to run the China office? Or are you going to come back to again, America and chop some wood or what's your plan personally? Yeah, well, both. You know, we are fundamentally a global company. So I think our global headquarters, US is definitely the number one place to be global headquarters. And China is very fascinating, very interesting. But more of what we are doing here is to learn what we can learn, whatever we can learn and see how we can actually benefit the world with what we've learned here. And there's a ton. That's more of the reason. I think, yeah, our product is fundamentally global and fundamentally for just everyone around the world. And I think U.S. is still the center of that. But I get that. I mean, business-wise, trust me. But I'm saying you personally, are you like, want to stay in China? I mean, or what's your plans? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty kind of a fluid in that sense. I'm not like really set on one thing. Shanghai is really awesome. You should come, and I encourage anybody to come. It's like New York City, but like very, very Asian-like New York City. But it's very, very cool. And San Francisco is just—it has its charm, right?、It、just how can you say no to San Francisco? Yeah. So I mean, those two places are. I just—it's hard to juggle which one I'm gonna be like more into. But I think both places I'm gonna spend quite some time. And I haven't actually made up my mind that I'm just gonna be permanently based on one place and not another. Maybe I will just move back to Houghton at some point. And so who knows? And again, Houghton was the 2000. Yeah, the armors place,、uh, place the countries. There you go. So that was a joke. No, I mean, once you actually can travel again, this definitely has piqued my interest as far as checking out China because I haven't been there before. And then you should, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks beautiful. So as long as you can hook me up, make sure that they don't take advantage of a big white American and you can help me out, then. Oh, they will for sure do. So you know, <laughs> I know they do. I know they. I know they love to. <laughs> there's nothing I can help. There's nothing I can help. Okay, but like you know, you're gonna there's a you're gonna enjoy it. Shanghai is a very very diverse place and tons of expats. So you know, and you don't even need to speak Chinese to get around here in the city. So just awesome. Cool. Again, David, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. It's fascinating. I love hearing, like, especially different types of entrepreneurs and where they're located and how they're doing it. And so, if anyone wants to check out again your website and how they can make a website easier and faster, I guess just go to strikingly.com, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you have any questions, always contact our support. Yeah, and if anyone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach out and say thank you? Well, Twitter for sure, and then besides that, I actually there's a small surprise. If you sign up to strike me,、uh, you'll get an email from me, and I do read that email and I do reply. Oh, nice! All right, well, cool. Well, we appreciate it, and、uh, thanks again for sharing your story. Hey, thank you. I know what you're thinking right now. You want more tech-based interviews, don't you? Well, if you become a Patreon member, we've got plenty of extra interviews for you right now. Just jump on over to the Patreon feed. Plus, I've got a special spreadsheet that has every interview categorized by industry, so you can easily jump to interviews that will help your business immediately. So, to become a member, just check out our website, millionaire-interviews.com. And if you made it this far into the podcast and you aren't a Patreon member, well, then what's holding you back? Message me on Pornhub and let me know. My username is Bizboy69. That's B-I-Z-B-O-I-69.